0: Charles, if you want to talk, let me make sure these levels are here.
1: Okay. Um, We're going to talk about social capital and and how Americans don't have it very much, and that's why they're um, (laughs) in trouble.
0: (laughs) That is true. Uh,
1: But, yeah. Anyways, that yeah, I'm excited by that topic, you know, and we got, we, I can only write about or talk about what I'm excited about too. Same as you, when I don't have anything interesting to think about or say I'm not excited about it, forget it. I don't, I have nothing to write, you know, I mean, I got to find something that's interesting or compelling or exciting to me, you know? And so <clears throat> anyways, I, I, I totally hear you.
0: Yeah. I, th- I think the, the, the other aspect, and let me see, I'm going to try to turn, I'm going to, um. I I have recording now, so we might we might still just do this. Uh, we're still working on the levels here. Maybe we'll we'll put it on like the Patreon or something. I, go, I should probably do something with my Patreon. Some people are 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 honestly still giving me money, and I really appreciate that because it's been a long time since I've posted stuff on. I think the last I did something with Sam Tripoli um, on my Patreon right at the beginning of 2020. And here we are, August 30th, 2021, live with Charles Hugh Smith, even though it's not live, uh, which I like not doing live shows. I don't know why I thought about doing that. I was getting sucked into the FOMO of YouTube, and I just was like, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a YouTube person. I don't... Maybe someday, but it just seems like a lot of work. It's just like, you know, I have enough real business that I would rather do stuff in in real person you know like i'd I'd rather be in business like you started out in business or my grandfather did my grandfathers did so everybody welcome back to the sample hour this is traditionally two beers with charles but i don't have anything to drink i could go get some mead but i still need to work out today um i am joined by one of your favorite guests you might be in the of two minds Facebook group, because even though Charles and I haven't done shit with that group over the last month, I've gotten like 10 people, like at least one person a day requesting to join that group, Charles. Um, and so you, you are the writer of of two you it's a syndicated blog across multiple sources you were once accused of being fake Russian propaganda. I'm still jealous of that. I would wish, I hope someday I get accused of being, I mean, it means you're doing something right. And then uh, you are a published author. What do you have now, 30 books you've written?
1: Yeah, probably 20. Yeah.
0: It's a lot. It's a lot. You're a writing machine. Um, and actually, I, I can't thank you. If it wasn't for your blog, ironically enough, I wouldn't have my current employee. So, and it's actually weird because he actually connects back into like my old comedy world networking of podcasting, which is how I started podcasting and got to know you in the first place. So the simulation is real, Charles. That's all I want to, that's how I want to start the podcast off with.
1: Well, you know, what you're describing is these uh, networks of connections that, that we, of people we trust and we're gaining something from, you know, we're sharing and we're getting knowledge or or stuff from. And so that's like what we call social capital. And so that's kind of what I want to talk about is because I see your journey as, um, I want to say, iconic of, of what the entire country of America needs to do to reestablish social capital. And so you know, like, let's I don't know how you how you want to describe it or go for it. But in my view, I, I would start with the fact that you used to be a corporate drone, like yeah. tens of millions of other Americans. Yeah. You know, you're totally dependent on either the government or the corporation or some mix of those two for your livelihood and everything, your yeah. food, your utilities um, and, and your and whatever connections you have come through your workplace. Right.
0: So absolutely.
1: Uh, it, yeah. And so then it's all like, well, that's, a, uh, that's an extremely uh, vulnerable kind of life because you're, you're totally dependent on these abstractions. And then what about how much are you actually growing of your own food or do you, did you, or a people that you know that are, can trade stuff that's really valuable that you need? And, and it's like, well, none. You know, nobody grows anything. Nobody has anything to trade. And everybody's just trying to work as hard as they can to make as much money as they can. And, and what's the point? You know, so I see you as developing this huge social network of which I'm envious because I'm actually more like a I call myself a professional hermit. You know, I do have this. <laughs> you're
0: big, of the hermit age. You're of the hermit age, though. <laughs> it's appropriate to be a hermit. You're in your you're in your 60s, you're a couple years <laughs> older than my dad. Him and my stepmom, they're hermits. And, and actually, thanks to covid. <laughs> It's now like the family gathering place for everybody that was like, fuck this. We're gonna see our family because we love them. We had we would have cookouts. We never we never met, we never went over the number because it was just like I don't want to deal with the police, but I don't think it would have been a problem in Toledo. But I got them out in the house and then uh you know, they're 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 getting moving. I mean, it's it's like, you know, I think but I think, you know, there there's an age. I think there's a time in your life to where you want to sit back, observe, and give young men like myself wisdom. And I have to be in a position to give younger men my little wisdom that I have. Um, and I think theres it's just a cycle. I think a lot of it is um, when it comes to social capital. And Well, first off, I want to say big thanks to you for writing your book. And uh, me being in uh, my second round of being a telecom prostitute at uh, Time Warner Cable, the now now a defunct company that is now part of Spectrum, you know, for everybody that hates Spectrum. I used to be part of that <laughs> beast. Before that, it was Verizon Wireless, and I was a creepy guy in the mall, but I, I learned how to talk to people. Like, I, I didn't have issues talking to people, but I just had issues engaging people and listening to them before. And, you know, your book laid out, you know, get a Get a Real Job, build a weird, a real career, defy a bewildering economy. I mean, that was kind of a big blueprint for my business. And then also using the podcast for you and I to talk at least once a month. Um, and I was reading your blog every day. That was the nice thing about work is I could read your blog all the time. Um, now I, (laughs) now I hate sitting in front of a computer. Like it's like the last thing I want to do is sit down in front of a computer. Uh, But, you know, focusing on social capital, that was something I always had. That was something I learned from my grandfather. Like he taught me, and both my grandfathers had it, the one I was closer with. He taught me really a lot about how to network, about like who you really want to engage in deep conversations with and who you don't. Like certain people, like this guy is good at fixing air conditionings. in your car, he's kind of a weirdo, but he'll save you a bunch of money so don't engage in too much conversation with. It was kind of like the first time I learned something about that. But when I look at my current social capital, um, it's really interesting to think about. Like I went from uh, slowly building my business one restaurant at a time, uh, trying to leverage what I had, what capital I thought I had from social media, which all turned out to kind of be capital that couldn't wait to turn on me um, because they didn't really know me. Or they, they thought they knew of what they thought I was from either listening to this podcast or limited interactions. And, and of all fairness, I didn't really know them. I didn't really understand like what, what it would be to, to, I mean, I wasn't as conservative as a lot as they were like, I probably am now. That's for sure. I definitely have gotten a lot more conservative over the last five years. It's weird when you take ownership and things, how it makes you care more and, and actually want to have more of a say um but i feel like i might just be rambling charles and people want to hear interactions in between two people so i'm gonna i'm gonna stop rambling
1: <laughs> no no well here here's what i'm what i'm interested in is you know i i tend to write about social capital as like uh you know i, I kind of from you know thirty thousand feet like this is what the nation needs this is what we've lost you know like um, you look at these books like Bowling Alone and The Lonely Crowd and, you know, Narcissism in America and all this stuff. It's, it's been a long, decade-long uh, process of the erosion of, of meaningful connections in life, right? And then we see that people are substituting an addiction to social media as a substitute and of course that's like substituting an addiction to heroin for like a healthy lifestyle right (laughs) it's not the same (laughs) so what i what i'm interested in uh, what i'd like you to speak to is part of the thing about social capital is like practicality in other words like um you know like people give you something because they have extra and then you give them whatever you got that's extra you know it's like it's like reciprocity it's not one way it's not just like one person's giving all this stuff to people that are just takers. There's, you know, people are producing and, and sharing. And so, and knowledge as well as, you know, goods and services. But what I think is interesting about your social capital, and this is my observation, you can speak to or, or say, No, I don't quite have it right. But as you, you have these different circles, you know, and so if it's like a Venn diagram, if we put all these circles of contacts together, then then you're in the, a, a place where they overlap. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah, you know, So that's, that makes you, you know, like a node in a network, right? Like lots of people go through you like, Oh, they, you know, it's kind of like six degrees of drew sample, you know, like if you, if you went one or two people out, you got a pretty big network because you're in these different circles. So why don't you talk a little bit about the different circles you're part of?
0: Um, so I definitely, so it's, it's interesting. We talked about this the first time I went out to LA, um, when I went out for Permaculture Voices and ended up in, in San Diego. And when I first got out there, I mean, within two hours, I was sitting in Jay Moore, like some comedian studio, like Fox Sports radio studio, Not no microphone in front of me, but just hanging out with him and my friend Dean Del Rey, um, who I'd done comedy shows with. Like I'd promoted his shows, flew him out here, did some shows in Pittsburgh, Columbus, Toronto, um, so I have an old school, you know, comedy promoting business that I, and, and a lot of it too is from the podcast. I think like, you know, I want to pay some love to Adam Curry for creating podcasting, um, and, or being a pod father. It was a group, it's always been an open source effort, but it was a, it was a, um, it was a tool that allowed me to talk to people that I was interested in. And would allow me to just kind of follow the things I was interested in. And then from there, you know, just knowing like I I think, you know, we used to do these meetups for when we went before Joe Rogan was, you know, $100 million Spotify deal. And he was still just coming up with his podcast, kind of rebuilding his career. Uh, I was like an early listener of his show. And from there, there was a, a meetup that I was invited to, like through Twitter. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I want to get to know, see how like-minded I am with these people. And then sure enough, we had enough Venn diagrams. Uh, We had enough things that were in common that was to us at the time, I was like, oh, that's so weird. But, you know, we don't think, well, hey, we're, most of us grew up in the Ohio region. Um, Ohio is like a big test market, different parts of Ohio is a huge test market. So you're going to have a lot of common, you know, likes with a lot of people in the area. And then oddly enough, I think from being in Columbus, Ohio and Toledo, Ohio, most of my life, um, and then having, you know, Appalachian roots. So I'm not really country um, and I'm not really a normal urbanite. Like I, I kind of like to say I'm a hoodbilly. So because I'm from, the, <laughs> you know, I'm from the hood, but I'm still ethnically a hillbilly, you know, so we I am of the Billy boy descent. Um, so, uh, it, it it puts me in like a really interesting s- space with a lot of different people, and then you know then I always search for commonalities because the one thing that I always hated was like I'd I'd go to um, like some freedom festival like I went to one, and the people that put it on are awesome like and I don't want to I don't I'm not trying to shit on it anyway but I remember my first experience there I was in Arizona was all these people are just really parodying other people's ideas. They're not really trying to get to know each other and figure out, okay, clearly we are like-minded. What can we do to work together? And that was something that I I wanted to do with the comedy show stuff. So when, you know, okay, I thought I was one of the few people that listened to the Joe Rogan podcast and knew about like Brian Redbean and his his other podcasts – so now I know all these people that know about this stuff. Some of them know they're way bigger fans than I am. But what are our common interests? Like, what could we do to work together? And so for me, I was, I was. That's how we started doing the, the promotion company. Like, I, I at the time wasn't working at Verizon anymore. I didn't have like as much money I was making, but I didn't really care. I wanted to have more. You know, um, I, I, I wanted to have a more fulfilling kind of like. You know, I wanted to fill up my own cup, if if that makes sense. Like, I, I wasn't I wasn't in the best state. So, um, you know, so that then from there, like, I learned to... There's certain people that want to talk a big game, and they say they want to get involved with stuff, but a lot of times when the rubber hits the road, you learn a lot of people don't. And so then it's just been, you know, the last... The last nine years of... Becoming interested in something like niche communities and a lot of times through podcasting or like your blog or um, people that read Zero Hedge or just anything and trying to meet up with these people in real life because you're going to skip a lot of... I mean, there's still randomness that's cool that comes in your life and that it's like, oh, wow, I met this person randomly because we both got DUIs and we were in the same DUI... um, hotel jail and i saw him reading a book and the book was chariot of the gods and i had heard that on joe rogan i was like oh do you listen to rogan he goes no i listen a lot of opie anthony i was like oh i love opie anthony and this at the time and i did and then now it's like you know one of my best friends my friend cody schlegel who's also a self-published author you know what i mean like he you know he's a little bit younger than me and he's he's got a small business with his dad but we don't We, we don't necessarily have the same interests, or we don't necessarily come from like the same um, the same like necessarily network of what maybe podcasts we're listening to, but then we have other common interests, like we're both from Northwest Ohio, or you know, we we're both born in Northwest Ohio, or you know, just other things. Um, so I think like, I hope I'm not rambling too much, but the, the whole point is, is people need to go find other people like through podcasts that you're interested in. And if you know that there's a group of people that potentially are going to be like-minded, take a chance and go get uncomfortable and go get to know them. Um, I think, you know, we just did Midwest Peace and Liberty. My buddy, Brett Vinat is ending his show, The School Sucks Podcast. And he's been running this show for over 10 years. And um, that's how I know, you know, my current you know, temporary roommate who's helped me get really organized again so I could, you know, streamline a lot of things in my business because he had a lot of skills and he had listened to my buddy's show and realized he didn't need to go to college. He ne- he realized, oh, I should just start a business and become an entrepreneur. And that's what he does. He's an internet entrepreneur. He can go live anywhere. He's figured out so much shit more than I did and he's only 28. And so it's, it's you know, so there's like, and I met him from trying to, be a person okay i have this experience with meeting up in real life with online communities let me go there and i know how to make people feel comfortable and i know how to there's certain skills i can put to good use that i learned from having some really sociopathic type jobs like being a salesperson at a cell phone kiosk and it's like okay let's learn these use these skills for good um and let's try to be like a a a node for people to to come through like oh like i'm I know Brett, he's going to have an event. Let me personally invite a bunch of people there so we make sure it's, it's a good event. And, and so I think it's just you know understanding like I was investing, I wasn't getting paid to do that, but it's definitely, there's things that I've done social capital-wise that have more than paid off um, financially. And I, I probably am a little too generous a lot of times, but that's kind of who I am. So uh, I'm sorry if I was rambling there, Charles.
1: No, no. I think, uh, let me summarize what, what I heard, at least, was, you know, social capitalists finding commonality doesn't mean you have to be agree on everything. And so that's totally against where America's going now, which is litmus tests. Yeah, you know, It's either, either or, all or nothing. If you, if you fail my litmus test, you're my enemy. And it's all like, no, that's not, that's how you destroy a nation. That's not how you yeah. build social capital. So you're finding commonality. It doesn't have to be hundred percent. No, I really like that.
0: It's boring. And it's I, but it gets boring if it's a hundred percent. Like you don't learn anything. Yeah. Like that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, well, like, I, like you and I. Okay, a common example. Like you and I talked on a previous conversation years ago about you don't own a gun. You don't want to own a gun. You don't think you'd ever shoot a home and somebody that was invading your house or anything because you don't believe in that because you're a Christian. How many like how many of your readers own guns? And how many of your readers would probably shoot someone for a home invasion? They, probably a decent amount, but that doesn't mean you hate them for it. And that doesn't mean they hate you. It's like this weird thing where your generation was like, well, yeah, we don't have to agree, but I still like him. He's still my friend. Like, You know what I mean? Like, We spent... We have memories together. We've broken bread together. Um, so yeah,
1: totally good example. You know, it's it's like not all or nothing. And so, but let me go. You made a comment before we started recording, which I also feel like is important, and it, it's it's like a big part of social capitalist. We we have to have a livelihood. You know, like it's nice to talk about social capital. Like, well, yeah, if we're all rich and living off you know millions in dividends or something then it's like yeah we are free to develop social capital you know but no what if, it's also part of our livelihood and so i you said that you your life is now much more negotiable
0: than yeah. when you worked
1: for corporate america and i thought wow that's a that's a really interesting phrase that nobody else has used so let's talk about that i feel Why, like i heard that what from what you means.
0: though i feel like i heard that from you like from reading your books <laughs> or your blogs or our conversations uh so, yeah, my life is so much more negotiable. So I, I mean, and I was going to that rate anyway. So I think I, I was living in, a, in an apartment um, when I first started the podcast. And it was kind of the last apartment that I knew I wanted to live in. We wanted to, like, rent a house or something. But I wanted to, like, know the person. Because I remember my buddy had owned houses and well, he was my friend's friend who owned houses. So I, I'd wanted to rent a house from him when I could. And my, my buddy was Moroccan. And I, something I always noticed and like kind of admired about like a lot of immigrants that move here is they're just happy to be here. Like they know where they come from, they know how bad it can be back home because a lot of times the, the uh, wealth gap is way larger than our country, even though we're getting there really fast. Um, and you know, that he was kind of in an up and coming neighborhood that kind of sketched me out. Cause I didn't really know Columbus. And he was just like, yeah, I like it here. It's that, you know, you gotta be careful, talk to your neighbors, do this. And, and they did. And that was what he did. And he paid cash and he had this nice house and it was, the rent wasn't, was really the same that I was paying for my shitty apartment and then quote unquote, nice area. And I was just like, well, I don't want to do this anymore. So we we ended up, you know, we ended up renting um, a house from, we ended up renting like a condo from one friend. And then once another house got ready, I moved out of it. My one buddy stayed there and I was like, I need to live on my own again. And then him and I, then I I just started renting the house for my friend where the farm is now. Um, And through that, I'd gotten my job at Corporate America and I was, you know, uh, I was, this is right around the time I started talking with you. Um, Well, actually, I I started, I moved in after the fact, but I was, I was going to this lifestyle of, I want to know the person who I'm doing business with. Like, I need to have a name with that. Like, even like, okay, I, I bank at a credit union but i don't do i don't want to do any electronic deposits stuff cuz what you think is convenience is you're actually getting rid of a negotiation so a negotiation for me would be i know the managers i know the tellers they know the business i do they know what kind of business i do so there's nothing there's no weird questions so i didn't have any my stepmom um or my bonus mom like and my dad, they had some issues because she has a business and they try to hold her SBA money she got for free. And they were like, well, there's a lot of scams. And I was like, she has a business. That's bullshit. But they don't go in there all the time. You know what I mean? They're not in going in there doing deposits weekly. Like all my deposits, I take in signed checks. Um, I get checks by mail. I, I'm trying to get more ACH just so my business is more automated. But... I think there's, there's been an important aspect for me with getting to know my credit union. You know what I mean? Or knowing my landlord or knowing who does that. So then once, once it came to me buying the house for the farm, because I, I realized, well, if I'm going to, um, even though I made way more money in corporate America, it was like, well, my job could go away tomorrow. Like I don't need to, I don't want to buy some house that I'm not going to be able to afford if I don't have this job. So instead I bought a house when I didn't have any money but I did it because I had a family loan. Like my grandfather bought the house and sold it to me. And uh, well, basically he financed the house and I still have a mortgage with his estate even after he's passed away. So I pay my mortgage into the estate. Um, so, you know, so it's like, okay, so I control my, so I, I know I don't have to pay a bank. If I wanted a forbearance, I called my mom who controls the estate And listen, we don't have money. Like, my mom's not rich at all. Like, it was just, it worked out. My grandfather wanted to invest in me, but he didn't want to give me anything. So, and and then basically it was set up too. So it's a note, but I don't we don't have a servicer. So it's it's not something that can necessarily be sold, but it's it's also like I could be a total piece of crap about it, but they could always take the house if they wanted to. Um so it's it's just one of those things that like it was a way to make his money more money, but then invest it into me, because that was what he wanted to do. Um and then when it comes to my business, like my business was based was built from the ground up. I remember we talked about farmers markets being ground up economics, um, which man, they're I think they'll probably get back to it this summer. It got more so in Ohio, but last summer I was like, I'm not participating in I couldn't do samples. And I think even now you can't do samples. So I was just like, I can't sell microgreens without doing samples. Like it's, it's part of the experience and it, and it just kind of ruined like everybody. If if you, a lot of people just go to farmer's markets cause they, they depend on that money and I don't depend on it. I went there because I wanted to barter. I wanted to get to know people um, through, you know, what we had talked about, which was ground up economics, which was farmer's markets. So, I just took the same approach into the restaurant. So I'd, I'd gotten one referral um, from actually, I'd, 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 I've told this story quite a few times. I was seeing this girl I met online, and we decide, I decided I was going to call off work the next day because I didn't really care, and I wanted to hang out with her. And I remember a lot of people had told me, oh, you know, that's probably not a good thing for you to be calling off work like that. But I met this kitchen supervisor of, like, my first restaurant I got into, and then like a month later, I'm selling to them and he doesn't work there and I'm not seeing that girl. And then from that restaurant, like I, I kind of took some time off and from that restaurant, I got referred to another restaurant. Then that guy referred me to another restaurant and then it was just kind of there. Like I picked up, um, I was thinking about this today. Like I, I was, I was, I don't know if you remember this, Charles, I was delivering pizza a little bit, but it was negotiable. Like, I said, hey, could I just be a 1099 driver? Like, I don't, I don't want to have a W-2. I'll take care of all my own taxes. I want to write off all my own miles. Um, and that's what we did. And Luke and I negotiated. He's been, a, he's been a guest on the podcast. He thinks similar to me. And I met him because I was doing, you remember, I was doing Skip the Dishes, and I was just trying to hustle to make some side money and just kind of experience. And now they're out of, they're, they're not even in Columbus, And he just thought like, oh, you're American. Uh, You didn't, you actually brought a hot bag. You speak English. It wasn't that you're American, but you speak English. You didn't crash into my food truck like somebody else did. Um, And he was just like, I need help. I'll, I'll pay you cash. And I was like, cool. So he paid me cash and he started me out on cash. And I worked for him for a little over a year. And it helped supplement me until I got my business off the ground. And it was a negotiable situation. And him and I are still really cool. Like I, I like Luke a lot. Luke is like he's a dude that if I'm struggling with something business wise, I can talk to him about it. Sometimes I don't always like what he has to say because we're different. But and I don't agree with him. But again, I'm I'm not gonna hate on him. The guy runs a nice business and he built him built it up from nothing. I mean, he didn't come from a rich background. He just knew how to do math and to hustle. Um and so I think it's like uh where I'm at now. Was I wanted to have a uh, one thing? Was I wanted to have um, a? I wanted to. I wanted someplace else to live. Like i I'd, I'd been living where I worked for a while. Um, I got I got some PPP money because I knew how to build relationships. I I kind of sold the bank manager on my small business, and then thankfully I knew how to fill out forms. Because um, I, I guess a lot of people didn't get their PPP because you would like so my my credit union didn't offer it so I, I set up a new account at Key Bank and just talked to the guy gave him all my paperwork and then once you applied for the loan because you're applying through the SBA you had to resubmit all that same paperwork and more paperwork and I guess a lot of people would just like contractors like blue collar people would just be like well I don't understand I already did this once and it's just like. Look, man, when you're dealing with huge bureaucracies that are gonna give out give you free stuff or give you money or anything, like you can't expect it to make sense most of the time. For me, it's usually okay, I'm gonna give you more information than you're asking for, and you're gonna be like, Well, this looks legit. He gave me so much information. And then it's just it's pretty much just been like it was just a rubber stamp the first time. Um so, but the the person who bought this house uh that I live in now, who I'm renting from and I have a first right refusal on, I had to I learned from my, my days when I was trying to learn real estate at my local RIA, so real estate investors association, that you want to get something if you're renting. Like you don't want to just have anything. And um, so I, I have first right refusal. It's a it's a 15-minute walk from from my current house. It's a bigger yard, a little bit nicer neighborhood. My neighbor, she's awesome. She's 92 or 93, still gets on her hands and knees and weeds her flower bed. She's super inspiring um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I, she, so the person that owns this house, she was actually the person that gave me a tour at my, um, my last apartment I lived in because she was doing management and her and I stayed friends. She was my bookkeeper for a little bit. And she wanted to talk to me cause I was an entrepreneur and wanted to go off on her own. And so I could push her and I just knew what got me to go over. And I, and I, I I mean, I think, like, I, I'm more than happy to, to give value and to, to help people that want to win. And I, I don't mind doing it for free if you're my friend, and I'm going to probably expect the same I, I was talking about before. I'm so, but, but basically, to, to, to rewind and why it's negotiable, like, I'm switching everything right now over to uh, people mailing me checks instead of getting checks, like, the day of. Um. So upfront money, more back end money. And a lot of times in my experience, when you do that, it takes a little bit for it to catch up. And then also I just, I kind of, I got behind because I, uh, I got really stressed out, Charles, back in May and cause like business went from nothing to booming. And I was, I was training my uh, new employee. Uh, he wasn't my new employee, but he was like my helper. And I was pretty much, I had, I, me, and the previous guy I'd been working with, we decided to end the relationship, and so I was stepping him up, and I was in the middle of training him, and then out of nowhere, instead of me thinking, "Oh, this is going to be perfect," I can slowly dial him in. Out of nowhere, man, business just came back. I mean, people pretty much after Valentine's Day, it just accelerated quickly, and people wanted to go out to eat again, and and then it just like Ohio. Started to really, like, we'll we never have mass mandates again, thankfully. And they'll never be able to shut down restaurants again, thankfully. Um, and, uh you know, so I was pretty stressed. And so I'd actually, during Easter, he'd actually wrecked my car because I had him drive me somewhere. And I forgot he was still a new driver. And he made a dumb decision. And then, so all I had was my truck. And then I ended up... <sighs> I don't know if it was stress or something. I ended up wrecking my truck and getting an OVI and I have to pay a lawyer and got it reduced and still dealing with all that. So I was kind of in a bind, but I I knew the person it wasn't, I was paying some big rental company. I knew her and I said, this is what I can pay you now. And then I can pay you in a few days as well. Like I'll be able to pay you within a couple of weeks, but it's negotiable because I know her. We have, we've had a good business relationship the last year. I haven't had a late payment and now it's like, Hey, I've had unexpected expenses. I've had to do this. I've had to do that. And it's been a hustle. um, Or one restaurant that pays me, owes me a decent amount of money, kind of, they paid me as little as possible. Um, But it's just one of those things, like, right now, everyone is, business is so not business as usual on that level that it's still not hard to, it's not hard to start, I don't think it's hard to start a new business right now. I mean, it is, but it's not. I think if you had, I, I think now is a good time to do it. Um, especially if you want to go at the approach that I'm doing. I mean, it helps because I've have, I've built, I've had a good relationship with a lot of people for the last four years. So I do, I have earned a lot of slack, and it is negotiable. Um, so it, I think I answered all your question there. I wanted to give as much. It, it, examples of how my life has become negotiable
1: yeah well that's and that i think is tremendously valuable because um now i have another question which i think is going to be interesting i mean insightful for people interested in social capitalists okay 10 years ago how many people did you know who were directly involved in growing food you know either raising cattle you know zero orchards zero zero that was a dream
0: oh countless that, that,
1: uh, how many do you know now i mean can we say 50
0: yeah i would say even- i would say uh i would say at least it, well you know, I know 50 definitely from farmers markets i mean that i keep in contact with or i could call yeah I would be at least 50 people i think i have enough um enough uh social currency or uh mm-hmm. enough of a good reputation that people would like Okay, example. Uh, my buddy Nick Hazelton. Shout out to him. He's a yak farmer in Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, convinced his again from that school. I know him again from that school sucks podcast. My buddy Brett Vanat. So, you know, convinced his parents that he was depressed in high school. His dad had started the high school for him and his sister, um, so they had a good place to go to school. And he was miserable. He was depressed. He he didn't want it. He was like, "We got this land. I want to be a yak farmer," and I don't even know why He want to be a yak farmer. He read like some kids' book as a kid, and he just thought it'd be cool. <laughs> and he's just like, but he's a smart kid, and and you know, I, he um he wanted to come and stay extra. So he always goes to this uh, festival, the Midwest Peace and Liberty Festival in Michigan, and he had um he had wanted to. Uh, come and see my operation, which I thought was really cool. Um, Because, you know, I, he knew me, I interviewed him before I was even a full-time farmer. I think it was right before I got laid off. And so I interviewed, he, his dad wanted him to come and take a look at some other farms out here. So I took him to two small scale farms that were into permaculture like him. And he got a good view of like you know context is everything like there's no one size fits all what works for one person isn't going to work won't necessarily work for you uh, i had issues with this because it's it's hard to upkeep uh weeds will outcompete my food sometimes it all like context is everything and so i went to that guy then the other guy he did uh shout out so that was my buddy greg burns who'd been on the show and then i I I brought him out to my buddy, Sean Brown's farm. He's also been on the show and he got like an idea of like what we're doing in Ohio. And then, uh, my buddy, you know, our our mutual buddy Alex Bell sat down and made a spreadsheet for him for numbers because a lot of farmers aren't, you know, they, maybe they're good at food, but they're not good at sales or not good at the other business aspect. So, so growing food now, I mean, like, you know, I, I have, I mean, I I have multiple people I can buy the highest quality pork from, in my opinion. Uh, I still have a cattle. I still have a cattle. I still have a a steer um, out on pasture at my buddy's farm who I partnered with, Um, which I need to get my grass-fed beef business really figured out, side of my business. But it's just been getting microgreens dialed in has been you know, changing things, figuring out what to do next with that. Um, especially cause the model I was going on, I, I never really was happy with, I felt like I was in a position of constantly trying to appease somebody that had zero ownership in the company. Um, and, uh, sorry, Charles, my phone keeps blowing up and I, I need to turn it off. So I quit getting all these text messages.
1: <laughs> no, well, um, so let me, uh, Kick in here for a second and just talk about how um, what I what I find really interesting in your story that, you know, about about um, social capital and livelihood is that um, I think it's the the direction that America needs to take as a nation. It's not just you are an example and there's lots there's lots of other people um, doing similar work. But it's like America needs to get back to producing like energy, food, fresh water um, and and community uh, bonds. In other words, like uh, where where it's like the big word is relocalizing. Right. Yeah. Like instead of instead of getting on the Internet and ordering some um, machine part from China, like it would be like, well, there's a machine shop in, in this county. Yeah, it's got a um, that's got a computerized thing and we can just order from them. And yeah, it's a few bucks more than ordering from China. But instead of waiting six weeks or finding out it's out of stock or whatever, we got the part like next uh, Thursday. Right. And so and, and, and so I think that's what America needs to do to recover its um, its productive base, if you will, or its foundation, its social cohesion, you know, on and on. We can use all these big words. But it's 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 really like, hey, where what are you going to eat tomorrow, and where's it coming from? And if it's coming from five thousand miles away, on some air you know uh, air transport, you know, from Nicaragua or someplace, that's not that's not the future, man. That's not going to work. We, we can't be blowing all of our jet fuel just so somebody gets a, a green pepper that costs like one cent less a pound or something. You know, that's just insane. You know, we gotta we actually have to relocalize production. So you're like right dead center of that. And and yet, is it going to be cheaper? No. But it's like what I talk call the tyranny of price. If you're going to say, oh, the most important thing, the only thing is price. Well, that's how you end up where America is now, dependent on Chinese production, food grown in Central America or who knows where. I mean, it's like Come on, you know that's insane. Like you know, first, let's grow our own food. I mean, that's really number one, right? Yeah. So I, that's where I'm really interested in how you form these networks and how you're trying to get people just to, to um, have access to local food, which yeah. is hard in a lot of cases. And then explain to them why it's worth 10 cents more or a dollar <laughs> more. And yeah. if they stop wasting food, which is where they blow forty percent of their money buying stuff that they throw away. Well, then they can afford local produce, right? <laughs> Sorry, hundred percent.
0: No, 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 no. You need more rants than I. I've, I've been I've been bogarting the rants, and I know it's my show, but you're my guest. <laughs> I I agree. I think I think the thing I want to focus on with the beef, um, and I think as I expand is. I, I would like to do direct to consumer. I'd like to have that in there and I've and I've been trying to I've been in the works of getting this this website going to do it, but then it's like I I've not wanted to launch because I, I haven't had it's just kinks. Like I didn't necessarily like I, I I mean I actually have access. Like I've been talking to my cousin Brad, who's got a bunch of cattle and land, and I need to call him and, and work it out. But it's just knowing the order of operations, like it it was You know, when I, when I had, um, my previous guy I was working with and he, he had the microgreens pretty dialed in with some consistency, but I just had a whole other slew of problems with him. And now, you know, I have the young kid and he's a young kid, but he's doing great, but he's 22, you know, like there's so many, you know, you forget what it was like being 22. And it was like, man, I gave him a lot of responsibility for a 22 year old and, uh, especially that that's dependent on me, but you know, I believe in him and I think he can do it. And it's just him and I figuring out what's going to work best for the two of us. And, but then once we get to that, getting systems dialed in for other stuff now, uh, when it comes to selling people on local, I think is actually easier, um, than we think, but at the same time, it's hard. So if it's a farmer's market, I have no problem. Like, most people at the farmer's market just want to feel good how they spend their money. And I'm really good at making them feel good about it. Like, they feel great about it. And then I tell them where else they could spend their money around the farmer's market to feel good at. Oh, go see my friend over there. He's got the best this or the best that. Um, On the Internet, one thing I noticed was people really liked buying from me, but they don't think about it. Like, it's easier... For some reason, it's easier for them to just go... Get something a traditional way than to send me a text message and say they want something. It's kind of weird um and then a lot of times, like if they do send me a text, it's like w- I'll run into issues where it's it's hard for me to to fulfill orders at a time because i I just have too much stuff going on or um i'm I've been really just trying to meet the demand of the restaurants, which is the easiest money, and right now it's like oh, I need as much cash flow as I can get um so it's it's that I think that the, the aspects of be running the business and having that consistent cash flow interfere a lot with um, the ideals and knowing like when to plug the ideals in like uh, Curtis Stone. He's the urban farmer in Canada. Um, you probably see people pricing trying to sell you a course. Um, I like Curtis. So I'm not trying to shit on him. He's got a, a lot of knowledge. Uh, But he'd always say, like, you know, you should keep your ideals in your back pocket, but still let them kind of guide you. So I do try to do that as much as possible unless somebody actually asks me a question and really wants my (laughs) real honest opinion, and then I give it to them. And it it usually goes well. Like, I'm not a dick about it. Uh, But I think, you know, having people have an actual understanding of where their food comes from a, a lot. We can thank a lot of documentaries for that. But at the same time, like, there's enough... Vegan document like vegetarian vegan. Um, I I don't know. Like I eat a lot of vegetables still. I eat a ton of vegetables, but I still eat meat. Um, I don't. I think you should try to eat a balanced diet. I think you know life eats life. It's 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 part of the natural process. I mean, you can definitely limit meat. I mean, there's definitely good vegetables you can that will you could get. Like you know, people are like oh well if you eat jackfruit, but it's like okay, well if you think meat's evil for the climate or beef is because of cow farts, whatever nonsense. But you want to fly jackfruit from India and Malaysia and all these other places, and you think the whole world could live on jackfruit instead. I mean, that's that's not sustainable. Um, <laughs> they, so, I, or, you know, how? what is the cost of... If you think because you eat vegetarian, animals don't get killed, uh, you really are looking... You're really just looking at factory farms and being horrified. And you're not actually looking at... How many deer's or chipmunks or squirrels the combine kills? I mean, let alone if you really want to get to know plants and understand them, uh, there's there's some pretty decent evidence that they they are sentient beings as well. So, I just think it's life eats life. You should be okay with it. Uh, you you probably should not waste meat. I'm a, I'm all about that. Like I think you should try to have a relationship with your food. Um, how you cultivate that relationship is up to you how, how far you want to get involved with that relationship is up to you. Like I've, I've, I've helped butcher pigs, chickens, cow, uh, hope, hopefully someday I'll go out and I'll, I'll work up a yak with Nick or something if he wants to, it seems like a lot of work though. So I might not do that. (laughs) I've done, I've done enough, you know, it's a lot of work, but I mean, I'd like to get more, I'd like to get more hunt. I mean, there's, there's spots in Columbus um, where you can you can own your home in the township, and apparently the way Columbus sprawled, uh, the city itself was whoever took their water that that they'd get annexed. So certain localities didn't want to take the water or didn't want to annex, so they just kept well water. So in those areas, you can you can bow hunt deer year round on your land. It's awesome, and it's and especially in urban environments where deer are such a problem, especially if you do want to grow gardens. It'd be probably nice yeah. to wean out the population and put some deer in your freezer. So yeah. I think it's um I think it's just looking the way you people look at things and the way they actually I I don't think they always play ideas out in their head. I mean, I don't always. I mean, like I was I was, you know, I I, I really liked trolling for Donald Trump. Uh I voted down to take a Republican for the first time in my life. And if you would have told me if if you would have told me that, Charles When I first started talking to you, like just being, I mean, I don't know why you would have, but I would have, I would have bet you money that there's no way that it ever happened. But it, you know, it it just seemed, we had a lot of Ron Paul adjacent Republicans running in, uh, Ohio. And I was like, yeah, like, I don't, there's enough of these Republicans that want to take away Mike DeWine's emergency powers, So I'm voting down ticket and I'm going to encourage people to, um, so that's what I did. And now, you know, we're going to pretty soon, we're going to have guns concealed without a permit, which I'm okay with. And a lot of values I have that I'm okay with, like, even though I don't own a gun, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I think people should have their freedoms. And I think like, I believe in freedom and I believe in that. And so if that's in alignment with me and I, and I think you should be free to choose where your food comes from. And I don't, I don't understand why eating a plant-based, burger that was made in a lab um, with science because that's the way those people talk because they don't really understand science with science it was made with science Um, why that's better for the environment or whatever value they think they have and I think I think at the end of the day though people just want to feel good about themselves and to circle back to what you're saying and what we need as a country and a planet with localizing things like that's how you feel good about yourself as community. Like now, because of the lockdowns that had zero science behind them and did not work, um, and still aren't working in countries that they're doing them. Um, you know, I know two people that overdosed on drugs uh, with the last year, and that's two more people than I knew uh, that I was had a relationship with in my whole life uh, and now from my age group, I'm more, I'm a way more likely to die from drug overdose than I am COVID. Um, and I think that's something that people need to pay attention to. I think Johan Hari's work about community and why most people use drugs is because of a lack of community. I think people need to pay attention to, and I think, you know, I, I mean, I have my, clearly I just said I had a, a DUI. So clearly I've, I've had my own issues with, Uh, alcohol in the past. And a lot of it is just, if I really start to get stressed out, I know some old coping mechanisms start to creep up. So, I mean, I, I, I put in a lot of work to change my habits and my focus on my food again, even though I was a farmer and I grew good food, I wasn't necessarily eating it. Um, So I think it's, you know, people, people need to make a decision about what they want their life to be, and then they need to go after it. And They need to ask themselves questions about what, what do I need to be happy? What, what, what do I want to work for to be happy? Because I think happiness is work, and I think people think it's something that they deserve, and unfortunately, that's, I don't think that's how it really works. I mean, you can, you can feel joy, but to actually be happy takes a lot of work and effort and figuring out who you are and how you want to fit in in this world. So, there's my rant right there.
1: Okay, well, let me let's um I'll wrap that up uh, to end uh, to end uh my part of the show <laughs> by saying, yeah, totally agree and that what we're talking about when we talk about social capital is actually wealth, right? It's like the wealth that you need to be happy. Yeah. And in other words, like you're connected to the place you live, like we're talking about it sounds like abstraction to say relocalization, but to me, it's like you said, context is everything. It's like people are disconnected from where they live and the people around them because they've they now depend on these abstractions like global supply chains or social media platforms or the government's gonna do this or that for them. And it's all like, well, wait a minute, all that stuff is an abstraction. You know, like it's not real, really. I mean, it it's like what's real is like uh, being part of 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 um, the, the essentials in your own community. Right. And so I'll give you this one little example that kind of blew my mind here. I'm, I'm in Hawaii. So tropical things grow well here. And um, and yet this state, which could grow all of its own food, if that was a priority, like 95 percent of the food comes in on ships or planes you know, from around the world. And it's all like a tropical paradise, rich soil, and we're we're importing 95% of our food or 90%. What kind of insanity is that? And it's all like, well, because it makes financial sense. And it's all like, yeah, well, if you're going to make all your decisions on finance, then you're going to end up um, addicted to destructive things of one kind or another. So anyways, one of my wife's cousins lives out in sort of a jungle, And she brought over these bamboo shoots. Now, uh, you know, Asian cultures, you know, eat bamboo shoots. You have to strip off all the outside stuff of the bamboo shoot and you got to get it when it's young and then you got to soak it for like a couple, three days and then you got to cook it. I mean, it's not some kind of thing. You just grab like a piece of sugar cane and put in your mouth and start chewing. No, no, it's a big process. But she brought over these huge bamboo shoots, which I'd never seen. Uh, that large like they were like two or three feet long and about as thick as my arm and then uh, my wife checked with some other cousins um, whose parents used to know how to do it and so they remembered and so she figured out how to do it and then we we gave a ton of it away and we ate a lot of it ourselves and it was like well this was foraged kind of like the deer in the backyard in Ohio I mean what's in the backyard to eat or in the in the field there's so much food in your back
0: yeah there's so much I mean there's um I mean, a lot of stuff, I mean, like even, uh, there's a lot of, what are those, there's a lot of plants that people have that you could eat in the spring, that deer will come and yeah. eat. Uh, I forget yeah. what they uh hydrangea, is it, no, it's not hydrangea, it's, uh, oh man, it's killing me. But there's just like decorative plants that a lot of things are edible that people don't know are edible. Or And you know, another thing too, that a lot of people went away from fruit trees because they're like, well, it brings bugs. And so they just don't use them. it's like, so well, let's just get rid of the food because it attracts yeah. pests. Um, <laughs> and but it's, yeah, that
1: drives me crazy, too. <laughs> that drives me crazy, too. Cutting down fruit trees. It's all like, man, where is your head? Well, yeah, be, but anyways. But because people
0: think it comes from a story. The other thing I wanted to say about the community that I didn't bring up was, you know, I was, a, I was the glorified delivery boy of my company. And my neighbor had gotten uh, shit canned at the start of the pandemic. And he was older. I think he's your age, and uh, he, he, you know, I was like, "Hey, uh, do you think you could help me out? Like, I could pay him some money." Uh, you know, so we worked out an agreement. So now it's it's great working with him. He wants to get a, he, he gets me started earlier, like before I just wake up and do something. That you know, he's an older guy, so he's just like, "Yeah, I want to be done by this time." I'm like, God, Well, I haven't ever thought about <laughs> it like that. Because it was more like I was so juvenile about it, like, well, it's my business, I do it whenever I want. I wake up when I get through sleeping and all that, which is all fine and well, which is good, but it it feels way better to be done by like two o'clock. um So I never missed a beat, like all my family said well what are you what are you doing for your deliveries?" And I'm like, "Well, I pay my neighbor to just drive me around um and eventually he can just take it over, like I can officially bring him on eventually. So, but right now it's just, the business isn't quite ready, but it's like, you know, he's helped me just work on things and we don't, we don't take the highways. We only take the back roads. It's awesome. We listen to conservative talk radio all the time, which is funny because I hear what they're saying and then I'm, then I'll put out counterpoints and him and I will have some short conversations. Um, but you know what I mean? Like I wanted to invest in my community. Like that was the whole point of having an urban farm was to like I, I went i i started it with these ideas of kind of social justice and oh i am going to provide food to food desert realized nobody gave a crap about that but they really but it, what it did do was it 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 did kind of inspire people to grow food like he has a garden he shared some stuff i'm going to give him some of my soil cuz now i have so much soil like for the microgreens so we'll spread that out and you know it's just one of those things i i think um I think it's, it's good. I actually, you know what, Charles, I, I, I kind of want to talk about, there was a guy who I met through you and man, he got really nasty with me on Facebook. Cause that's what people do on Facebook. And I, I said, I, I made this post that was pretty controversial and I didn't realize it. Cause I said, only racists care about race. The rest of us just care about your character And, like, to me, that's how it's always been. I don't care what you are. I mean, like, look, we might make jokes about it, like, because that's what you kind of, like, I'm a blue-collar guy. You joke with people that are Italian, and my Italian friends make fun of me for being a hillbilly. I'd want it no other way. Like, it's funny. They make fun of me because I, you know, have really white skin when I take my shirt off, and they tan, and I don't as well. And um, so I'd said something about, like, you know, this, and then, like, man, the guy got really nasty with me. And I just looked where he lived and how many white people live there. And then I was like, dude, like look at my poverty line compared to you. Like I bought a house. I put my business here. I'm invested in this community and you ran away. Like, and that's, and I think that's kind of the idea of things like, you know, like put up or shut up. Like if, if you're going to be serious about like what, I mean like, cause you and I were talking about this for a while before, before, i was like i'm gonna do this farming business um you know that was it like invest where it was cheap i could have low fixed costs get involved in the community know your neighbors your neighbors will look out for you and most of the time like people don't people in my neighborhood go to nicer neighbors to rob places they don't rob our own neighborhood that's just kind of like you just don't do it because and it People like to say like, oh, they just care about their neighbors. No, they just they don't want to come back to you. I mean, you'll have some issues with drug addicts. Like I have a lot of issues with drug addicts in the area. Um, But I mean, it's not a lot, but you just see it. You have to see you have to see the darkness of our society. But I think like if you don't know, if you don't know what the darkness is, how do you know how bright you need to shine? You know what I mean?
1: You know what, Drew? That's an excellent. Um, I got to run here, so oh yeah, I, I sorry think about that's that. A, I think that's the perfect place to end our discussion because that is so true, and I think um, it kind of wraps up. I like what you said. You're investing in your community. That's that's what that's what we're talking about, and so I just love hearing your like account in the real world. You know, it's yes. it's always messy in the real world. There's no perfect things, no perfect agenda no perfect template no one size fits all i mean like that's that's what we've been talking about and so i think i hope our listeners will draw the value of that that you're you're living the principles that we're discussing but in the real world there's a lot of flexibility negotiation uh, i've got to backtrack change things i mean it's, that's the way it is man you know life is change as well and so um, i i love hearing how you're managing change uh, in in your life and your community you know because that's really what we're talking about
0: yes sir well charles thank you so much uh, for coming on the show everybody if you don't already subscribe to his blog check out his blog it's at com. you can also find him at maxkaiser.com and i believe it is still also reposted on ZeroHedge.com. So look in the show notes. I'm gonna definitely have some links so you can download and listen to Charles's audiobooks for free. If you don't have an Audible account, should give you one for free. I used to do the affiliate thing. You could set up an account, but I honestly don't even know if I get compensated for it or I think I will make you buy one. It kind of sucks for the affiliate link for Audible. So just it's just from my personal Audible account. So it's just something you can share. So get a free book. Um, all the books that I have in my library of his, I'll have posted so you guys can download for free. Also, while you're in the show notes, check out what I have there so you can actually become a patron if you want to support me, or you could do some value for value and support the show via PayPal, Bitcoin, Ethereum. However, shoot me a message. Tell me if you want to send me some crypto. I'm all about the crypto BNB, whatever. I don't, I don't uh, discriminate. So I'm glad. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Charles Hugh Smith, and I'm looking forward to bringing you another episode soon.